I'm Dane. I'm Elaine. And this is Sublime True Crime. If you don't want to listen to the preamble, go to 6 minutes 45 seconds in, as that's where the true crime bit starts. Death by Champagne is our guest promo this week, so take it away guys. Hey listeners, if you're tuning into this show, one, you have good taste, and two, you might enjoy another show that we host called Death by Champagne, the podcast here to keep you up at night. I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Olivia. We have topics in all realms. From the reality of true crime to the depths of the occult, we have dozens of episodes to binge that range from hair-raising scares to infuriating miscarriages of justice. We've covered everything from the origins of Satan to the crimes of an unidentified serial killer in our hometown of St. Louis. Other episodes include tales of unsolved mysteries, murder investigations, disappearances, cold cases, hauntings, folklore, and people in history that are stranger than fiction. In Season 3, you can join us for a true crime book club, giving in-depth coverage on cases living in the darkest corners of our bookshelves. Our first multi-part series is on the crimes of Gary Ridgway, focusing on his family, victims, and survivors. So grab your cat keychain, surround yourself in a salt circle, lock your doors, and unlock that phone. Hail Satan, and pop some bottles. Brilliant promo, thank you very much for that. Go and listen, subscribe, like, rate, share. What else can you do? So what have we done this week? What haven't we done? Well, I've done my backing. You have? I'd say done my backing. I've hurt my back very mildly, but it's just a pain. He's done his backing in a mad way. <laughs> it's just achy. Bring in mind, Elaine had major back surgery <laughs> last year and was in bed for four months. <laughs> quite, so quite a while, yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't, even, I wasn't in bed. I was on the sofa, <laughs> predominantly. <laughs> Elaine was horizontal. <laughs> I was horizontal for quite a while. So that was pre-surgery because I couldn't walk yeah. pre-surgery. Oh, God, yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> so I am but very mindful. Water bottles, though, haven't you? you know. <laughs> I have. I have got a little camera. Water bottle. And it's got a little uh, bubble there. It has only one. The other one fell off somewhere. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm very mindful of the fact that when I go, all my back's hurting. That it's nothing compared to what you went through. But you I'm, can't can't quantify pain. To be fair, it's very difficult to quantify yeah, pain. Quite right. Yeah. I always say when people say, Oh, it's not as bad as you and it's like, and well you don't you don't know. It could be. You could be worse than me. It's people have different pain thresholds, people have different tolerances. My elderly mum, who's seventy seven now, and she's completely away with the fairies at the best of times, bless her. She fell over. This is not when she broke a hip, she did something else. She fell over and we took her to hospital to get it checked out. Yeah. And the doctor said to her, We need to get a pain rating. So on a rating of one to ten, where one is no pain at all. And 10 is the most unbearable pain you could ever think of. And you're screaming in agony. Where are you? Oh, definitely a 10. Can't <laughs> Just like, risk it. <laughs> definitely a 10. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> no. I never ever like to say a 10, to be fair. Because I always thought, you know, it could probably get worse. It well, could probably I think get worse. If you're, you know, in that much pain and then someone trod on your toe, it would go up a little bit, wouldn't it? It doesn't matter how much yeah. you're being tortured. You'd expect so. Yeah. You'd expect so. Yes. Um, I think else, oh yeah, you got told off by the doctors this week. I got told off by the doctors this week for being a porky bastard. Um, that wasn't her words, that was my words. So uh, yeah, I'm now exercising more and eating better. Yes, we're um, both on a health kick now, aren't we? Yeah, it's very boring. Yay. <laughs> low carb, low sugar, more exercise. So yeah, my back's hurting, my heels are hurting because my shoes are rubbish, so I've ordered new trainers. 
I'm starving all the time. We're in lockdown. We're in lockdown and I'm bored of having frigging omelette for dinner and breakfast. Just scrambled egg. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> different eggs. A different, different texture of egg. <laughs> can, can I have any kind of egg, eggs? You can have any kind of egg. You can really? have poached eggs. Cream eggs. Yeah. No. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't actually in the, I wasn't on the conversation, but I could hear from the next room I was working and I could hear him on the phone to the doctor doing the, <laughs> yes, I understand. Yep. Yes, I'm sorry. Yep. Yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I will. I was like, oh, he's getting bollocked. <laughs> it was very reminiscent of being at school and being told off. The, the doctor was very good. She wasn't telling me off in a, you've done, you've been naughty kind of way, but it was very much a, an implied, you've yeah. been naughty. Yes. <laughs> I think there's not really much else that we've done this week, to be fair, is there? No. And yet we managed to bang on about it for four minutes, so bravo <laughs> us. <laughs> I'm so sorry, listeners. I am so sorry. But, you know, you're probably having just as boring a fucking time as we are. So yes. um, you get to listen to just how boring our life is. And yeah. You know, hey, mine's not that bad. I haven't been bollocked by a doctor <laughs> this week. <laughs> My back's not hurting. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> um, we've had no new reviews this week. No. Um, we did have a Facebook comment, though, from Kirsty Broderick, who said... You are my favourite crime podcast. And a oh. is that a smiley face That's with a, a stars smiley, and eyes? It's a heart, heart eyes. Heart eyes. Thank you, Kirsty. You're now my favourite Kirsty, even above Kirsty Gallagher and Kirsty Allsop. It's much appreciated. It's much appreciated. Seeing as we've had no reviews this week, I'm going to mention the British Podcast Awards instead. Which you, I've spoiled for you already, I'm You've afraid. spoiled that for me already. They've just opened the voting for the Listener's Choice Awards. So although we don't have a chance in hell of winning... It would be really great if we could make just a very small ripple. If anyone could vote for us other than ourselves, that'd be really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know for a fact we're not going to come close to winning because if you follow my favourite two podcasts, Red Handed and True Crime Enthusiast, they're well established and everyone is on their Facebook and their Instagram going, we vote for you with proof as well. So, mm. But we would like to make a small ripple. Yes. Kirsty, who left us a lovely comment on Facebook, has voted for us, as has Jay Barnes, who is a uh, perennial supporter of ours. So thank you, Jay. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I have checked with the British Podcast Awards directly, and although you can only vote for a podcast once, you can vote for more than one podcast. Yes. So, in their words, you can vote for as many podcasts as you like, but only one vote each. So, once you've rightly voted for your favourite podcast, please could you throw in a sympathy vote for Sublime True Crime? Well done! Oh, I said it! <laughs> I was going to read that, but you beat me to it. <laughs> I was fully expecting halfway through that sentence for you to go, throw in a sympathy vote for us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, over to you, Dan. <laughs> this week, the case of the colourblind killer. Paul Glenn was born in Blackpool, UK, in 1972. On 21st of February 1989, aged just 17, Paul Glenn and an accomplice planned to rob £5,000 from a local guest house owner called Ivor Usher. Believing the amount to be stashed in a safe, as the pair tied Usher to a chair, Glenn lost his self-control and bludgeoned the gay bachelor to death with a bar stool and a wrench. Just nice. see why they had to mention the fact he was gay in the reports, but they did, all of them. Yeah. It's a sign of the times. Yeah, oh yeah, actually, you were right, actually, 1989. Normally they'd just say the bachelor. Yeah, yeah, it was a definite sign of the times. He was gay. Yeah. But yeah, irrelevant. He then set the building alight in an effort to cover his tracks, though obviously he didn't do a good enough job, as later that year he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. He was released in 2002, having served just 13 years. Life imprisonment, my art. It's not enough, is it? He moved to Hatfield Avenue in Fleetwood in the northwest, and we'll come back to Paul Glenn shortly. Meanwhile, a couple of years later in 2004, 
Robert Lotz, 45, was a Cambridgeshire millionaire, described as a legitimate businessman, quote, for the most part, end quote. Yeah, mega that, you will. <laughs> yes. He was in the middle of a long-standing dispute that involved his three sons and a man who Lotz decided needed shaking up. Not killed by any means, but hurt badly enough that he would leave Lotz's kids alone. And although Lotz wasn't used to hiring thugs to do dirty work like that, he had connections who could help in this manner. His brother-in-law and business partner, Wayne Wright, also 45, and Victor Dark, 48. Wright put him in touch with a murderer that he knew, somebody who had killed for money in the past, a criminal with no connection to the Cambridgeshire area, a man called Paul Glenn. A couple of hundred miles away from Glenn's home in Blackpool, Robert Bogle, a builder, was preparing dinner in his kitchen at home in Farset, Cambridgeshire. It was Tuesday the 8th of June 2004, and as Robert's prepared a bolognese sauce for himself and his girlfriend, Angelina Walker, the relative calm was broken by a man at the back door. Wearing a hooded top, overcoat and black gloves, the stranger kicked open the back door and entered the property brandishing a 12-inch kitchen knife. He walked over to Robert and immediately started stabbing him. Despite a desperate attempt to defend himself, Robert soon succumbed to 10 stab wounds to his hands, arms, cheek and heart. Angelina fled to the living room in fear, throwing herself behind the sofa. Struggling to keep his balance and desperately fighting for his life, the 25-year-old victim made his way to the doorway in an attempt to get outside to summon help. Leaving a trail of red handprints along the kitchen units, he managed to make it as far as the pavement outside. A group of teenage girls were making their way along the street with a bag of chips at that very moment and were met by a frantic Robert who pleaded with them to call an ambulance. One of the girls immediately called 999 from their mobile as Robert lurched on towards a nearby shop, banging on the windows before collapsing on the floor. As the 14-year-old was on the phone to emergency services, others were desperately trying to stem the blood coming from the wounds. In amongst the horrific scenes, the attacker calmly walked past, strolling down the alleyway that was adjacent to the house. When they were giving evidence in court, one of the girls said, quote, I was really scared by a large man who wore black gloves. I thought, why wear gloves in warm weather? End quote. Another said, quote, we thought it was all a joke at one point because the other man just walked away like nothing had happened. End quote. The police were quick to capture the murderer. Mobile phone records revealed that Paul Glenn had been in Farset at the time of the killing and had travelled immediately afterwards to Blackpool. Delving deeper into Glenn's mobile, police found that in the run-up to and shortly after the murder, Glenn had been speaking to local businessman Robert Lotz and his brother-in-law. They quickly established that Paul Glenn had been hired to do the job of putting the Frighteners on the target, Vincent Smart. And in case you're wondering why we haven't heard that name yet, it's because Paul Glenn cocked up. And that is a fucking understatement. It really is. Glenn was given the address where Vincent Smart was living. He managed to find the address correctly but what he failed to do was any kind of research into the man he was supposed to be scaring off. Ignoring the fact that Glenn didn't come close to just frightening the target, instead lashing out in a bloodthirsty slaying, he also managed to get the wrong man. Fucking hell. And if you're thinking that could be easily done, Robert Bogle was black. The target, Robert's housemate, Vincent Smart, was white. And how much do you think Glenn was paid to put the Frighteners on Smart? Bear in mind he had to drive... 200 miles from Blackpool to Cambridge and then 200 miles back again. Mm. You'd think a good couple of thousand. You would, wouldn't you? £300, apparently. Oh, that's ridiculous. 
That would barely cover petrol before lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) When he was pulled in for questioning, Glenn was shown the evidence. Not only did mobile phone data put him at the scene of the crime, but forensic evidence, mainly a shred of Glenn's skin under the fingernails of the murder victim, also placed him there. Glenn wasn't having any of it, though. Although he knew he was banged to rights on being there at the time of the murder, he told police that the murder had been committed by a man called Steve, but that he knew neither Steve's surname nor address. Oh, how fortunate. I know. Steve, it seems, had arranged to meet Glenn to transact a cannabis deal and asked to meet at the house. Some random house. Mm. Glenn agreed, later telling the jury in court that it seemed convenient. And convenient from 200 miles away. I'm assuming he arranged to meet him to do this cannabis deal in Cambridgeshire. And then they went, oh, there's a house nearby. But it still doesn't stack up. Because yeah, there's no it? cannabis dealers anywhere near Liverpool or the Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> At all. He went on to say, quote, I'm a sucker for a hard luck story. I don't like to hear of people being subjected to violence or bullying. I plan to take some cannabis around as a peace offering. If I could reason with the guy, I'd sit down and reason with him. I was a peacemaker. End quote. Now, I don't like to hear of people being subjected to violence or bullying. He beat a man to death. Yeah. For no reason. I know. That's the thing, isn't it? He was in jail for 13 years for beating the crap out of somebody. For no reason. Yes. Because he was already tied to the chair. Yeah. That poor man, Mr. Russia. That, yeah, he could have burgled him quite easily at that point. But, as his story continued, he revealed that while he was upstairs looking for Smart, the mysterious Steve attacked and killed Robert. How convenient. Again. Why was he upstairs looking for Smart? Surely he'd arranged to meet him and therefore he would have been downstairs? You know, if I go to meet a friend, I don't tend to go into their house, break into their house, and then wumble around their upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn continued, quote, When I got to the bottom of the stairs, I saw Steve going through the back door. He, Robert, was trying to follow, and I pulled him back. He fell down on the floor and slipped. The blood was everywhere on the floor. I stepped back and saw it all. He shot out of the door. It was all over in a matter of seconds. I was there, but I didn't stab him. I wasn't alone. That's the truth. End quote. Got a very fluid idea of what truth is. Well, it makes no sense to me. The killer escaped through the back door and Robert, suffering from 10 stab wounds, including one to the heart, was trying to follow him. Yes. If anything, he'd be trying to get as far away as possible or to a phone or something. Hmm. But Glenn's story was ripped apart by the prosecution at Norwich Crown Court, who pointed out that only one set of footprints were found, which forensics proved were Glenn's own size 10 Timberlands. As barrister Rex Ted, QC, put it, quote, Otherwise, this man Steve is not just a man with no surname, no address, no mobile phone. He is a man with no feet, end quote. I put that in there because I thought it was a fantastic I quote. think it's great. I love it. I like it when barristers get really snarky. Yes. Yes. On a side note, do you think barristers in court get annoyed that their job title has been pretty much usurped by baristas in coffee shops? What do you do for a living? I'm a barista. Working in a court or a coffee shop? Yes. I, I haven't thought of that because I pronounce them so differently. Barista. Barrister. 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 Barista. 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 <laughs> the trial lasted five weeks, during which Angelina, who had witnessed the brutal attack, had been so traumatised by it that she was unable to properly give evidence during the trial. At the end of the trial, the jury found Paul Glenn unanimously guilty of the murder. Judge Sir John Blofeld. Let's just stop there for a second. Sir John Blofeld. Is that a good judgy type name? Yeah, all I can think of is James Bond villains. I know, but I think that, that makes it really good though because it has that whole mastermind <laughs> sort of connotations. So John Blofeld. 
Judge Sir John Blofeld declared that it was immaterial to consider a release date as Glenn would never be freed. Gathering together with family and friends outside of court after sentencing, Robert's father, Linford, said, quote, It's been very difficult. My wife is only here in body. Her spirit has disappeared somewhere. We will never forget Robert. End quote. Robert's older brother, Paul, also commented, quote, He was a wonderful person. It's just a shame that he's not here. There isn't anything I can say or do. He isn't coming back. They say time is a great healer. We'll just have to test that theory for ourselves. End quote. And they're two statements which really sum up for me a man that was obviously loved by his family and is going to be missed by those who loved him. I think it is. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. You know, people say about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And normally that means that, you know, if you get hit by a car or something, mm. not that some absolute twat breaks into your house and um, kills you. And I know it's not the point, but 300 quid. I know. Fucking hell. It's nothing, is it? The whole thing is a mess because he wasn't even supposed to be killing him. He was supposed yeah. to be frightening him. Yes. In what mindset is frightening somebody, stabbing them repeatedly? Yeah. Glenn was also found guilty of conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm by the jury, and the judge ordered that he serve nine years concurrently for it. He was sent to Whitemore Prison. Victor Dark was cleared of both charges and of conspiracy to cause GBH. Robert Lotz and Wayne Wright were both cleared of murder and conspiracy to murder. Both, however, had admitted conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm at an earlier hearing. Robert Lotz was jailed for four years and Wayne Wright was handed a five-year sentence after he admitted conspiracy to cause GBH. In September 2005, Glenn launched a legal bid to appeal his sentence. He argued to have the sentence reduced, but his claim was rejected on the basis that it was deemed fair, as this was not only his second murder, but also his second time killing for profit. But he's a peacemaker. He's not a violent sort. He doesn't like it. No. No. Unperturbed by his lack of freedom, Paul Glenn found other ways to occupy his time in prison. In February 2007, he married 41-year-old Paula Kelly from Liverpool. Now, can I just say, all these men out there going, oh, women are so fussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. They're holding out on us. He's in prison for fucking murdering someone, having this second time round, and he still managed to get a girlfriend. You can't get one. <laughs> To be fair, there are a lot of women out there that will probably go, be going, uh, ideal boyfriend. He stays away. <laughs> he doesn't come to visit that often. I see him when I want cheat. to. <laughs> <laughs> he can't cheat. He can't gamble. <laughs> <laughs> so he married. It was a small ceremony at the prison chapel performed by a Catholic priest. What a way to get married in Whitemore High Security Prison Chapel. Just what every woman dreams of. It's what everyone dreams of on their <laughs> special day. And even best, they have to then leave the groom behind and go off to their wedding breakfast at a nearby hotel with everyone else, which yes. is what she did. She went off and had like her full-on wedding breakfast without him. It's just weird, isn't it? It's mental. I, I, don't, I don't understand women like this. I really do think people, know. as much as I joked before, I do think that women who marry people who are in prison have got major mental health issues. Wow. Giving his home address as that of the prison and listing his occupation as builder, which I suppose is better than idiotic murder, which is how I'd have put him down on the paperwork, mm -hmm. the wedding would have to remain unconsummated. Darn. A month later, no doubt missing his new bride, Glenn made an attempt to escape from prison. Along with fellow prisoners David Bieber, who killed PC Ian Broadhurst in December 2003, and Keith Stewart, the trio aimed to hold guards hostage using a gun that had been smuggled into the prison. And actually, interesting fact, it was smuggled in by one of the guests at Paul Glenn's wedding ceremony, um, and this was orchestrated by Bieber. <sighs> How the fuck do you smuggle a gun into prison? Just wrap it up in a parcel. It's a gift. 
Can we check what's in this parcel? No, 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 no. It's a gift. It's a gift. I've wrapped it so carefully. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Honestly, don't. Their plan was to use hostages to negotiate a way out of prison, where they would then be picked up by a pre-planned getaway car. Unluckily for them, prison officers caught wind of the plans, and all three were thrown in solitary confinement before they could carry out their getaway scheme. I've got a few interesting little tidbits relating to that, which obviously you, you deem uh, unnecessary, which we'll put in the uh, in the extra time. <laughs> yes. So listen to the extra time episode that's going to appear on Patreon after this has been released. And Paul Glenn remains in prison to this day. Good. And that is the case of the colourblind killer. What are your thoughts? Can you imagine any scenario where you would pay to have somebody shaken up? Would Paul Glenn have gotten away with it if he'd written a to-do list? Number one, shake him up. Number two, don't kill him. (laughs) Underline twice, (laughs) don't kill him. Make up Steve. (laughs) Yeah, number three, think of an accomplice. Steve, question mark. Brian, question mark. Bob? No surname required. Yeah. We will discuss this on Sublime Extra Science, so come and join us there over on the Patreon channel. I'll have loads of useless random facts relating to the case to talk about. And if you're wondering what Sublime Extra Time is all about, it's like this, but even less professional. (laughs) Completely disorganised. Let us know. You can email us, dan at sublimetruecrime.com or elaine at sublimetruecrime.com. Or you can reach us via the Facebook page. Just search for Sublime True Crime. If you want to leave us a review, you can do it at ratethispodcast.com forward slash stc. STC, as in Sublime True Crime, and we will do our best to read out the five-star reviews on the podcast where we can. And if you can think of any cases you'd like us to cover, let us know. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.